0: So if you would, turn with me to Revelation uh, chapter 1 and verse 4. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4. The term revelation just is the Greek word apocalypse, which you've heard before. Maybe you've watched an apocalyptic show before. That is the revealing of the end. It is the literal revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, which is the way the book begins, isn't it? ...the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this book of Revelation, although highly misunderstood... ...and misinterpreted... ...because if you come to the book of Revelation... ...looking for timelines and charts... ...and some sort of vision of the future... ...so we can be tipped off for when we need to get ready for Jesus... ...you've completely missed the message of Revelation. For Revelation should reveal most importantly... ...Jesus Christ to us. And so... It's why John, who knew Jesus personally in his earthly life, unlike us, he was able to touch him, hear him, and see him, and live with him for about three years. He's the one who has this vision. And in fact, we're told he has this vision, guess when? On Sunday morning. Now, is that by chance? No, of course not, because as you read the book of Acts, many times something significant happens when believers gather together, not on Thursday or Wednesday or Monday, but rather on Sunday, the first day of the week, the Lord's day. And so John tells us in verse 10, he says, look, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and all of a sudden this vision of Jesus Christ came to me now. John, knowing Jesus, you would think he would have been jumping up and saying, man, brother, friend, like what's up? It's been so long. Kind of doing a bro hug sort of thing. That's not what we get at all, is it? If you don't know, you'll have to read ahead later this afternoon. But the one he sees is not the one, (laughs) the same one, the physical composition of the same one that walked with him and was asleep on the boat and the one that he saw crucified on the cross or even after the resurrection that was revealed to them that walked through the wall instead this one has taken on full transfiguration of glory before him and all he can do is not say what's up bro but instead fall on his face as if he were dead that's the same Jesus It's not a different Jesus. It's the same Jesus. The point is, this morning, we want to be in the Spirit, don't we? How can we be in the Spirit? To be in His Word. For the Spirit is the one who inspired the Word of God. So when we say we are going and getting in the Spirit, in the Word, we're really saying something synonymous here. And so I would invite you... To allow the Spirit today to reveal to you, Jesus Christ, in this glorified way. All right? Now, with that introduction, let's read here the text as found in in Revelation uh, chapter 1 and in verse 4. Notice these words here. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. That's an image from Isaiah, actually. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests. Sound familiar? (laughs) To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold. He's not done yet with that amen. (laughs) Behold. Look, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Not done yet. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come. The Pantocrator, which is to say, the King of the Universe, the Almighty One. Amen. Well, <laughs> That's pretty high and lofty, isn't it? Of a statement. In fact, there's about three statements here. And I would love to spend the next two days looking over this with you, but we don't have that sort of time. So, I'll give a just brief summary here of what's going on in these powerful words that are revealing Jesus Christ. The first thing is this. John begins by, with a literary device, right? And it's called an inclusio. It's the bookends of two things. Notice, he says this phrase, him who is, who was, and who is to come. He says it twice, doesn't he? He says it at the beginning of this text, and he says it at the end of this text. So it should form and be the, be the operating system, if you will, of everything that comes between it, and, and, and what is this talking about? What, what sort of language is it, who it? There's really two things that are going on. The first thing is this. It's speaking about Yahweh. For Yahweh, the term Yahweh, it's just Y-H-W-H. If you want to use a fancy word for it, it's four letters, which is to say tetragrammaton. Just like the game Tetris, you know? little And then letters, grammaton. So smash those words together. It's the holy tetragrammaton, which is... Yahweh. Now, we don't really know how to pronounce it because the Jews were too fearful to pronounce it. They never said it. It was too holy for them. Even now, you know, if you read a Jewish author, he'll say God, but it'll G be G-D. Because who are we to say his name? Who are we to speak the divine name as if we knew him in some personal way? It's like you know, when you're, when you're in formal settings, right, you address people by their official title. You know, Reverend Marshall Dagg or Dr. Justin Dagg or President of the United States. You don't just say, hey, Joe. It's improper. Now, that's okay for Jews to do. It's not okay for Christians to do. Here's why. Because we are told to come boldly Before the throne of grace. Because our Lord. Although he is high and lifted up. We can speak his name. Without being burned up. Now there's a place for reverence. And fear. And Jesus is not your boyfriend. Jesus is not your bro. He's not your homeboy. He's none of those things. You have a shirt like that. Forgive me. But I think you need to throw it away. You have a tag like that. Rip it off your car. Because. It's improper. He is the Lord, but we can call him by his first name, which is salvation. Jesus, Joshua in Hebrew. We can call him who he is, and who he is is this, Yahweh. In other words, if you look here, if if that is the case, that Yahweh's told at the beginning and then at the end, well, the end is actually talking about Jesus. So Jesus is Yahweh. Everybody with me? In other words, he's claiming to be the great I am. Because, you know, Yahweh means I am, okay? Or it can mean I am who I am. Or it can mean I will be who I will be. Did you see what happened there? It just listed out who is, who was, and who is to come. He is the great I am. Which is why when he was speaking to the Jews, Jesus, in his earthly life, he says, before Abraham was... I am, ego eimi in the Greek. I am that I am. He's already claiming that title, which is why they kill him. You don't get to claim to be God. We will show you who is God, buddy. And of course, they try. But God cannot be killed. He is life itself. And so Jesus in his earthly life dies for us and resurrects because he's the only one who can do that. And then he extends that same life, that same grace to us. Well, so, the first thing is we've got Yahweh here, but we also have the Holy Trinity in verse 4. Did you catch that? You've got God, notice grace to you and peace from him. Who is that? God the Father. And, notice that qualifier, from the seven spirits. Who really, that is a... That is an understanding of the Holy Spirit, in fact. And Isaiah, uh, what is it? Isaiah 11 tells us of this and gives us, how many? Let's see here. Gives us, yeah, seven things that God does. So read Isaiah 11, 1, 2, and 3, and you'll see that the Spirit of God gifts us seven things, which is seven gifts of the Spirit. So this is an image of the Holy Spirit of God. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. So this notion of the seven spirits is not just angels. No, it's the Holy Spirit. So we've got God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and then notice what. And, again, from Jesus Christ, the faithful martyr. You know, the witness is martyr, right? And so... Martyrs doesn't just mean you die. It means that your whole life witnesses to the reality of Jesus Christ. So Christ is the faithful witness of God and the firstborn of the dead. That is to say, the one who resurrected. He came back from the dead. And I don't mean just temporarily, right? So Lazarus, he's raised from the dead, you remember. But then he has to die again. And he's not raised from the dead. Not yet. No one is but Jesus Christ himself. He's the only resurrected body. Everybody with me so far? Let's keep walking through. And he's the ruler of the kings of earth. So again, Christ the King Sunday is all about Jesus being proclaimed to be the king. Some groups call it the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ or King of the Universe Sunday, which is that term, Pantocrator, right? Uh, He's the one who reigns. And so, if you notice, John here begins with a type of bookends. And really, our whole calendar year. If you talk about celebrating Advent, that's the first Sunday of a new year, Right? It's the advent, the dawning, the coming. Advent just means coming. The coming of a new year. It's the coming. It's the first coming of Jesus Christ. And so we begin our year with the newborn King. You're gonna be hearing about that over the next four Sundays after today, right? So because next Sunday will be a new year in the in the uh, calendar. It's year C we're actually going up. Remember, there's three years A, B, and C. And keep it simple. Know your ABCs. And year C is going to be this year of 2022. But it begins in 2021 because of the way our calendar works, right? And so this, this first advent of Jesus is the newborn king. And then guess what? The last Sunday of the calendar year for us, our lectionary calendar, is also Christ the king. But he's not newborn. He's fully reigning. And not just reigning and veiled, but the new coming king. Again, second advent right the second coming of christ as the king of the universe all right well so all this stuff is sort of packed into this revelation John is seeing both of the father of the son and of the holy spirit because our god is triune that is to say there are three persons in ...in the Godhead that make up who God is. When we say God, that's just empty... ...unless we fill it with understanding, right? I mean, just imagine you go to a different country... ...and in Arabic, God is Allah. Allah is not a personal name. It just means God. If you go to India, God would mean many different things, in fact. Haiti, Mexico, etc. Okay? Pagan gods... Or the one and true and living God. So the Bible clarifies who God is. God is not Shiva or he's not Brahman or he's not X, Y, Z. No, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, three persons, one God. We do not worship three gods. We worship one God and this one God is a community himself. He is a divine family. Where do we even think that family gets its name from? From God himself, Paul says. For he is a divine family. Why is family such a big deal? Well, because God is a divine family. Do you know him in that way? Notice the language that he gives to us when he reveals to us father, son. This is familial language. Notice the language that Jesus gives to us of our relationship to him, which is husband and bride, wife, marriage, family. This all comes from God. It is defined by God, not by us. All right. Look at this. He shifts gears. This is a doxology. So he makes that declarative statement, right? About the Holy Trinity, the God who is, who was, and who is to come. And then he starts praising God because isn't that sort of the natural response? If we see who God is, then our first reaction should be to worship him. And so he does. He says, to him who loves us, and freed us from our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Notice how we always end our worship services with that. It's super biblical. Amen. So there's his there's amen again. Amen is Hebrew for let it be. So be it. In other words, I agree. Let it happen, baby. Let's go. If God says to something, I want you to get rid of that in your life. I want you to put that in your life. Our response is only if he's Lord. Amen. Amen. Let it be. Let it be so. I agree with that. Amen. That, that's why you'll hear me at the end of a scripture. Amen. Or at the end of a song that I agree with. Amen. Let it be so in my life. So he praises God. Then he shifts gears again real quick. It's all happening fast. He says, behold. Or modern translation, look. Look. He's coming. Notice, look, he is coming with clouds. And, and And that is an image grounded in Daniel. Remember? Remember the prophet Daniel? He worked under like three or four different regimes... Uh, He worked under the Babylonians. He worked under the Medo-Persians, the Persians, King Darius. Like he had this interesting career. If you've never read Daniel, you really should. It's the one apocalyptic book in the Old Testament... ...that's given to, again, revealing the end. And what he sees in one of his visions... ...is he sees a son of man coming in clouds of glory. Well, now this is being applied to Jesus. By the way, do you remember what Jesus' favorite title for himself, biblical title for himself is? It's not son of God. Is son of man. He loves that title. When he, when he refers to himself, he says, the son of man says. And so he's picking up that divine title. Don't think that son of man is, is some only identification with mankind. It is. But it's more than that. Because this son of man is commanding the clouds and coming from the clouds and going through the clouds. Remember his ascension? And then coming back the second time with all the host of heaven. You know, I don't just stop me from preaching on John, the John reading. But did you notice the conversation between Pilate, who's a Roman authority. He's not not Caesar. He's really in the armpit of the kingdom. This is a demotion for him. ...to be where he is in Jerusalem. Nobody would have wanted to be there. He didn't like the whole Jew thing because it was a headache. If you ever had a headache at your job... like ...and didn't want to be attached to that program... ...that's the one he got attached to. And so he's questioning Jesus about his kingdom. And, and Jesus, as always... ...he goes, my kingdom is not from this world. Now that's a clear statement that we sometimes, I do, gloss over. It's not from this world in other words it did not er originate in this world it is in this world he is establishing the flag of the gospel in this world heaven come down to earth but it is not from this world likewise we are not to be of this world but we are in the world we are not meant to sit there and meditate all day long, transcending our earthly reality. That is heretical. No, no. Our bodies are a gift from God. And they will be raised up. The point of salvation is not to get rid of our old, dirty, nasty bodies. No, it's to cleanse our soul. So that our bodies come into a line with the kingdom of God. Of heaven, And then when we die, our bodies will be raised up and glorified as his body. For when we see him, Paul says, when he comes and breaks open the eastern sky, we will be like him. He doesn't tell us all of what it will be like, but we will be like him. All right. Notice, even those who pierced him, all the tribes will wail on account of him. I think it's pretty clear just to say, either when Christ comes in his second victory, when it's final, when the show's over and the director steps out, we either will receive that with glad tidings or with great fear. And here's what the scripture says, whatever you were doing when he shows up again, you'll continue doing. So if you are turned away from God, that'll extend into eternity. If you are turned toward God, that'll extend into eternity. It bothers people to think of eternal punishment. That is to say, continuous with no end. And here's the thing. It troubles me greatly. And it should trouble you greatly. And some have dismissed it just to say, you know, no, of course not. Not a God of love. A God of love could never for eternity punish those who didn't love him. And, uh, you know, I don't have any good reason, uh, answers for this sort of thing. I'm telling you, I'm troubled just as much as the next person. But here's the issue. Jesus himself is the one who says it's an eternal flame. Not me. Not you. He's the one who says it. In fact, Jesus talks about hell quite a lot. And I know all the discussions about Gehenna... ...and the the trash pit and all of this... ...but that means it's an eternal trash pit. If you know the discussion, if you don't, just disregard. Here's the point. There's eternal bliss... ...and there's eternal punishment. And there's nothing in between. He's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Here's the good news. He can be Lord of all today. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait 20 years. We don't have to wait 20 minutes. If you feel this call right now, get on your face. Cry out to God. Some of us will gather around you when you do it. We'll be rejoicing because we've been praying for someone to convert to the king. Well, he says, even so, amen. There's two words here. One is a Greek way of saying amen, which is the even so piece. And then the other is the Hebrew way of just saying amen. So he's basically saying, so let it be, so let it be. Amen and amen. Which is why at the end of our service we say, Amen. Amen. And all God's people say, amen. You see, I mean, that's, you know, we're agreeing like, yes, this is what we want in our life. This is what we want. We want your grace. We want to walk in your ways. We want to be your people. We want to be your martyrs, your witnesses in the world. And then again, the ending, I am the alpha and the omega. That's just saying, I'm the A and the Z says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, I'm the king of the universe, the almighty. All right. Well, much more to say, my friends, on this scripture, but we'll stop there for now. And I want to shift gears on you, on us, and say what a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ But friend, if you let it just be a beautiful picture and you don't rub it down into your life, then you're not coming under the king's rule. You're out here just saying, oh, cool. What a a neat thing. What a great thing. All right, let me live my life again. Your Lord and God. You're king of your life. No, we want, to, we want to say, okay, wow, if you're this kind of God, then what in the world do I need to do? What am I supposed to do? These are wonderful thoughts, but they're thoughts that will soon be grasped by the enemy if they're not planted in our life. So, let me just ask just a few simple questions. Think of it this way. Would you take a tour with me through your house? The scripture speaks of our body, our soul, which are one. Don't think in terms of some separation. That's Gnostic. It's not the Christian faith. What it means to be human... ...is to be body and soul. Why? Because Jesus, the perfect human... ...was body and spirit, wasn't he? He already existed... ...and yet he took on a body in Mary... ...conceived by the Holy Spirit... ...born of the Virgin Mary. What it means to be human... ...is to be whole, body and soul... ...which is why going to heaven without a body... ...is only temporary... It's like I told you, at every funeral of a Christian, I whisper to the body and say, I'll see you soon. But not like this. Not like this. They'll resurrect. My Papa Russum, who has passed on now, he used to begin his prayer like this. Father, we bow before you in Jesus' name. That's the way he would begin every single ...every single prayer. It's not the way I begin all my prayers... ...but it has stuck with me because he said it so much. Why do you think we have repetition in worship? It's to teach us. It's to help us that in the darkest moment... ...when we don't even know what to think... ...or maybe when we can't think on our own... ...we can recall the faith through repetition. Do you know that I've noticed this even with unbelievers... I've I've had an opportunity to witness to some unbelievers in my life. And one time they asked me to pray and I prayed the Lord's Prayer. And guess what? They joined in. You don't have to like repetition, but God does. He repeats himself over and over again in the scriptures, doesn't he? When we see a vision of God, you know what we should do? We should worship him. That's the big thing. We should worship him. And there's, there's really two words, a Hebrew word and a Greek word for worship, and they both mean the same thing. You know what it is? To kneel down. What is that a picture of? Submission, isn't it? I mean, this is like a universal sign of submission. I don't care what country you're in, To kneel before someone, especially with your face. Is to prostrate yourself. Face down. In other words, I'm not even worthy to look upon your greatness. I'm not worthy. But you are worthy. You're worthy of my worship and my praise. So if both terms mean to bow down. In submission, have we misunderstood something fundamental about worship? Maybe so. The way I hear worship defined is by music. Music is not worship. Now, it can be used in worship, and obviously we do it every single Sunday. (laughs) But it itself is not worship. No. Bowing down. ...is worship. Saying with not only your soul... ...as my papaw started at each prayer... ...Father, in the name of Jesus, I bow before you. He's talking about his soul. But I mean actually getting on your knees. Taking your body... ...and doing what you want your soul to do. Now we practice some of this... ...but probably not enough... It's why when I come in repentance before these kneelers, this altar, right up here, you can do it wherever you want in this place. I always kneel. But I haven't done it enough. I want to start making it part of my daily devotion to God is to literally kneel before him and say, you are king and I am not. So, is he worthy enough for your worship? Or do we have too small of a God? Have we made an idol of God? A God that excuses all the things we do. A God that really doesn't care about what we watch on TV or on our phones... Or doesn't care about really how exactly we raise our children, how we spend our time, what we do with our money. I mean, he excuses all of that, of course. He's very gracious. I'd say by the time you get to Revelation, if you read through the whole thing, you'd think quite twice about that, wouldn't you? You say, well, now we're living in the time of the New Testament and, you know... God is, he's not as angry as he used to be. And yet, right there in the New Testament, they lie to Peter and they die. Now, again, not trying to be morbid. God is absolutely a God of grace, no doubt. And in fact, there's only a few people in the Bible who are killed by God, and they're all examples because I should have been one of them. So, what is our, uh, oh yeah, the psalm that Justin said he liked. Psalm 93, note it, your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. What about your house? Because that's where he wants to dwell, isn't it? Not in, not in temples made with hands, but in here. Doesn't he want to reign there? Most of all, it's not enough for me to be a Christian for you. Christ must be Lord of your life. The fact that he's Lord of the universe, wow. But if you come under his lordship, that's what it means to be in the kingdom of God. You're coming under his rule. And might I add, he's not a prime minister... He's not president of the universe. As much as I like democracy, this is not a democratic republic, his kingdom. He alone is Lord. And no one else. And anyone else that tries to be Lord will be crushed under the weight of his glory. It's almost as if it's not even his fault for eternal damnation. It's the fact that ...of you turning away... ...or I turning away... ...from the glory of the only God. He's it. He's the only game in town. There is no other. He tells Isaiah... ...I'm the only one. There's no one before me... ...behind me... ...beside me. I am it. Shorthand... ...I am... Yahweh. So let's take a little tour, real quick. I'm not going to get detailed for your sake, but I want you to get detailed with the Holy Spirit. What if He was to grab you by the hand and walk through the rooms of your house? What about the family room? If love is to will the good of another, how many of us do that with our family? They're the one biologically blood people that we're attached to. DNA, they're gonna be with us. I know they're weird. I know they're strange. But they also think that about you. We are called to love them. We are called as a family to forgive, family doesn't leave family. You don't do that. No matter how, bad how no matter how bad things get, you don't leave family. It's supposed to be impossible, and that's where the security comes in, isn't it? It means that no matter what, I can tell you whatever I need to tell you. Not ugly, but I can tell the truth, and without the worry of you scattering and leaving. That's what family's for, is to teach courage, to teach fortitude, to share wisdom, to help our kids live better lives than we lived, not to live our lives through them. I mean, can I just say something to some of you? Like, your kid's not going to be a professional athlete. It's not going to happen. I hate it. And if they do, just make sure I get an autograph. (laughs) Just kidding. I could care less about the autograph if God is not in their heart. Like imagine the time that we spend educating them and sending them off and then socializing them or whatever we want to call sports. And I like sports just as much as the next person. But it is not life. It is not life. ...and if all we ever did was teach them how to do those things... ...friend, do you not think you're going to be held responsible? You helped create these people. Well, what about our parents? Older parents. Well, for kids, you need to obey your parents. That's what the scripture says. It says your job as a kid is to obey your parents... And it's a sin not to. But also, Jesus corrects some of the religious leaders of his time and says, you older people that have parents, you need to take care of your parents. Parents are important. I know they're not great. And I know they're wrong a lot. But they are the authority that God gave you as a child. And when they're older, you're no longer under that authority. When you move out of the house, the scripture says, no, Abraham left his father's house. You're no longer under the authority of, I'm no longer under the authority of my father. Now the authority lies on me and on Jessica to raise. It's not my, my parents' job to disciple. And guess what? It's not the church's job to disciple your kids. I'm not going to stand before God and he say, why didn't you teach little Freddy? I never had the opportunity to teach little Freddy. Hopefully nobody's name is little Freddy. I never had that opportunity. They never brought him to church. They never plugged him in anywhere. And anyway, they're not my kid. If you bring him into the world, it's your responsibility. And the ones who brought you into the world, they become your responsibility as adults. We're meant to burden one another. Did you know that? Like that's what family does is burden one another. Anybody with me? When I get sick, Jessica is burdened to take care of me. And as strong of a dude as I like to think I am, like I feel like my pain is pretty, pretty bad. And I know she says she's had some pain, but I feel like she goes through things a lot better than I do. I think there's some scientific data too that shows that. But anyway, we'll move on from the science part. The point is we are meant to burden one another. Which is what family does. And it's what the family of God should do. When you're going through something, you need to report it. Report it to the pastors. Report it to the intercession team. Why? Because we want to burden one another with what we're going. That's what the point of family is. But if you never say anything, if you've got everything taken care of in your life, no, friend, we're weak. We need help. We're in a family. And our families should be open. Not closed. Our families should always be ready to receive others. whether that means through adoption or simply the the neighborhood kids always tearing up my stuff and getting on my nerves. But I do it, and I bear that burden. I don't always send them home. Because Jessica helps remind me of what we're called to in this neighborhood of mine. I'm not just living here in a nice house, in a nice neighborhood, just to say I lived a nice life. We're here on mission. He didn't die on the cross just so we can live good lives. Save up our money and retire at some point. If that is your plan, I wonder if you wouldn't bow down before the king today. He owns everything. Do we really not think that like we think that we're so controlling and, and, and smart that we can plan out? No, as God wills. That's wise to do these things and all that. But friend, if there's a need and you're not meeting it because you're trying to save up for something in the future. No, I think it's time to give. It's not your money. I don't, it's hard to get that in our heads. I I totally get it. Like, comes into my bank account, I'm like, man, I worked hard for that. I'm going to spend it on whatever. And I look up, sometimes I've spent hours researching something on Amazon. And yet, the greatest gift that God himself has given us, we act like, oh, I can't understand that. I guarantee your research of electronic devices, 4K, 10K, iPhone 33, whatever it is, I bet you're an expert at that somehow. How'd that happen? I bet you're an expert at the, the, the court cases that just happened, and yet we act like we can't understand it. That, that's hogwash, friend. I hate to tell you, that's foolishness. It's foolishness. We get riled up by this and that, by the waves and the winds of this world. It's all passing away. And what is your voice going to do about that? Hardly anything. Now, I like politics just as much as the next person, right? I'll, I'll, I'll use it as a hobby. I enjoy it, you know. But this is my life. Christ is my life. All that other stuff is Secondary. Why don't we try to become experts of who Jesus is, the best way to share Jesus, this Jesus, in your subdivision. Let's just play around with that a little bit. I bet if you get some new toys for Christmas, you'll teach a bunch of people how, how to use them and how to play with them. Let's do the same thing with discipleship. It absolutely befuddles me that people can't and are unwilling to give one hour outside of even this hour to Christ a week to join up with brothers and sisters in the faith and open up the word of God together and pray for one another. Like I've, you know, I've been in the church game a long time and I've said this till I'm blue in the face. And you know, you you say, man, you shouldn't like just make people feel I'm I'm not the one making people feel bad. I am the messenger. I'm extending what this is saying to our lives. It, you get mad about, you know, it it is what it is. Like it's part of the job. But it's Christ that we'll stand before. And we've spent all this time on our work and all this time on our play and all this time planning out how we're gonna spend our money. Do you think that's pleasing to him? Now, there's a place for all of that, but in right order. And that's the whole point with being in the kingdom is things are rightly ordered to the king. He is Lord, and then everything else flows from that. Then we can have fun watching shows and doing all these things. What about your professional life? We walk into the professional room. Does anybody at your work even know that you're a Christian? Have you ever offered to pray for someone? Like we should as absolutely bring Christ into the workplace. Now, not as some process. Don't ha- come in there handing out notes and uh, pamphlets and being weird. Don't, you know, that's, there's no reason for that. <laughs> I've told this story before, but you know, I'm sitting there in Walmart trying to get my ketchup. You know? It's the only thing I had to get. And this guy comes up and he's like, you going to heaven or hell, buddy? kind of taken away because I was reaching for the ketchup at the time. And I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm going to heaven. He's like, how do you know that? i like, well, because of, of Jesus Christ. Okay, he walked away. It's like, first of all, if all of a sudden I identified with you as a Christian brother, we should be hugging or doing something, not me left there wondering what in the world just happened. Don't be weird like that. Don't come knocking on someone's door. Instead, invite people into your home. God gave you the place. Your neighbors. Anybody that'll come. And I know people won't come. Trust me, we we invite them all the time and five people show up. But don't you think those five people God cares about? And what was it, one night of my week that we spent with people we don't know? We're not shoving something down their throat, but we're showing the love of Christ and hospitality, which is something we do. What about in our private life? When nobody else is looking. Nobody knows. It doesn't hurt anybody. It's fine. No, it's not. No, it's not. There's not a room in this house that shouldn't be his, he is the king. It's all his. And if it doesn't come under him, it's gonna be burned up. It's not gonna last. It won't make it into heaven, I can tell you that. Not into his holy presence. That means your thoughts. It means your private thoughts that nobody knows but you. It means your attitudes. When you see that person, just a sourness. Lord, what's going on? Why do I feel like that to that person? I shouldn't. You know what Jesus says about this, right? The law says don't commit adultery. I say whoever looks upon a woman with lust, you've already done it. The law says don't murder. I say, if you hate someone in your heart, nobody else knows about it. It's just in you. Nobody else can even tell. You're you're super southern nice to them otherwise. But in your head, you hate them. He says, what I see is murder. That's what I see. I see murder. What do we put in the house? What do we welcome into the house? That's a whole other thing, isn't it? What do we drink and eat and watch? I mean, do you know how much time people spend on these things now? I mean, I'm embarrassed to pull up mine already this morning to show you how much I've probably spent on there. I don't know. I can't remember, but it's probably a lot. And hey, maybe you're reading the Bible on there. Maybe. Maybe you're connecting with people. Maybe. Or maybe we're just mindlessly scrolling our lives away. the precious time that God has given us, we mindlessly scroll. What's our interior life? I mean, the holy of holies look like. The, I mean, the, the, the control center of your life, what the scripture calls the heart. What is your heart like? Is it really hard toward others? Listen, just because it used to not be hard doesn't mean after 2020 it, it isn't hard. If we're not continuously applying the oil of the spirit to our hearts, we'll become hard. And he'll have to smash it and start over forming us up again because he's the potter, we're the clay. Well, we could go on, couldn't we? And I haven't even been specific. I've just kind of casually walked by the door of these rooms Is he king of all? It, it, you know, he's, he's already king of the universe. That's a fact. Is he king of all in your life? Have you made him king? Have you allowed him to be king? Or are you turning away like a spoiled, rotten child screaming at him that you're going to have your way? Does he have every room in your life? Does he command every aspect of your life? Is he Lord? Now, Paul says this. You can't say that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So the Holy Spirit, bringing all seven of his gifts to us and many more, and the fruit of the Spirit as well, he wants to come in and clean house. And we need to let him. We need to let him. And listen, the cleaning doesn't stop. (laughs) As you can, you know, Marshall at 20 as opposed to Marshall at 30 as opposed to Marshall at 40. Had to clean house. i got to figure out what it means to be a 40-year-old in Christ. And so do you. A 60-year-old, 70, etc. Invite God's spirit to rule in your life without rival. There should be no rival. It should be yes and amen. So be it. Lord Jesus, Mm. well, let me end with um, the way this preacher, Ken Langley, ended. He goes, when Aragorn, if you remember from Lord of the Rings, and I haven't used Lord of the Rings in years, so I don't want to hear any complaining or emails. (laughs) When Aragorn in The Return of the King, you remember this, and this is in the book, it's not in the movie, When Aragorn enters the fortified city of Minas Tirith, for the first time as king, the city's steward proclaims Aragorn's royal pedigree. Notice this, for all the citizens to hear. He is Aragorn, son of Arathorn, chieftain of the Duoden of Arnor, captain of the host of the west, bearer of the star of the north, wielder of the sword reforged, victorious in battle whose hands bring healing. The Elfstone, Eleazar of the line of Valendil, Usildur's son, Elendil's son of Númenor. Shall he be king and enter the city and dwell there? That's how the book goes. Now, he flips it. There was another king who long labored in obscurity, just like Strider did, if you remember unheralded, humbly serving the people over whom he had every right to reign, laying down his life for them. Today he claims the throne of our lives. This is Jesus. Here is Jesus, the Christ, the second Adam, the bright and morning star, the first and the last, the A and the Z, victorious in battle, whose hands bring healing, mighty second person of the Trinity. Son of David, Son of Man. Word of God incarnate, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Shall he enter our hearts, our church, and dwell therein? Let's end with this. Let it be so. Amen.